then let's forget what we should have done earlier and continue with what we should do now. Hey folks, right up front I'm here to let you know this episode is going to be pretty different than our usual fare. First off, Kyle will not be joining me. He is on a well-deserved vacation after over a year of pouring his blood, sweat, and tears into this show. He's out visiting his wife in Arizona so that they can, you know, have some actual not long-distance time, so that's fantastic. But uh, you won't be hearing from him at all unless he uh, adds a love and solidarity to the end. I don't know if he'll bother to edit that in. Um, but, uh, it's just going to be me. This episode will also have nothing to do with leftism, really. I might do a quick, like, hot take, my hot takes on the news at the end. But in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to have any, you know, real substance to it. It's going to be me talking about some nerdy shit for maybe 30 minutes. Um, but I'm going to be doing my top 10 video game reviews. And uh, hopefully you all uh, can enjoy that. If you don't, feel free to skip this one. Some things to let you know up front. Uh, first off, I will not be doing any more than one game from a franchise. So, you know, if you hear a franchise pop up earlier on the list, then that means that's the top that franchise is going to cap out. Otherwise, you know, I'd have three of the Batman Arkham games probably in my list, and that's silly. Um, second thing to worry about, I guess, I don't like hard try-hard type games. I mean, I used to have that energy when I was a kid, but I just can't play those Souls-likes, or, you know, Elden Ring, I respect. It seems like a very fantastic game. I'm probably never even gonna bother to pick it up, so if you're looking for a list that accommodates to that gameplay style, uh, you're probably not going to find my, my takes to be all that uh, accurate, and that's perfectly fine, because that's how opinions work. So if you disagree with everything I say, feel free to at me. I would love we would love to get emails. We I don't think we've gotten any ever. So if this is the thing that gets you all riled up, perfect. Get get mad at me, tell me I'm an idiot. I love it. Anyways, uh with that in mind and without further ado, I think we're ready to jump right into that list. So we will start right here at number ten. So way back in days of yore, long before we had our fancy color video games. Nah, that's not entirely true, but you know. Um, there was a mascot created by Nintendo, back when they were the only game in town, basically. Uh, it was a little pink puffball, and he, he basically had two attacks. He could shoot puffs of air, and he could eat enemies. And then the only way he could fight the bosses was to eat the enemies they shot at him, and then spit them back. And that gameplay got very boring and redundant. It was still a fine game, I suppose, but then they decided, you know how we could spice this up? Let's add some of these enemies, they give them some cool powers elemental bullshit type stuff, and then it was off to the races. That is when Kirby started hitting its stride, and I think that no game better encapsulates this than Kirby Superstar for the Super Nintendo. So, they basically looked at Kirby and said, let's uh, let's leave like the very first Kirby game, but like with easy mode, because now you can use powers. Cool, that's, uh, that, we'll put that in there. Okay. That's, that's like, only going to take about 30 minutes. Yeah, exactly, don't worry about it. We're also going to put in, like, five more games on top of that. And that was a million-dollar idea that truly made for a fantastic, well-rounded game. And to top it all off, very intuitive co-op, where a second partner can basically take any power that you absorb and turn it into a little avatar of that power. Easy for them to switch out, easy to keep the game rolling, and, uh, best of all, in my opinion... There's one of the games, the Great Cave Offensive, where there's, it's fully exploratory. The whole point of it is to gather all the treasures. You can run through the main plot in about 30 minutes, but 
when you actually, you know, take your time to sit down and explore it, it can rack up about four hours, and it's just, it's just a good time, fun time to have with a, you know, a friend or whoever you're hanging out with, good couch co-op, and even if you play it single player, the games stand out, and, you know, as just one added icing on the cake, it was the introduction of one of Kirby's coolest villains, his cousin Marks, who is, uh, basically nightmare weirdo him, and, uh, in case that wasn't enough, they said, just for fun, also here's a couple little mini-games that you can play versus mode with your buddy. A little fun race course game, and then just some reflex and timing-based kind of bullshit ones that aren't all that interesting, but still, you know, neat to have in there. So all around, Kirby Superstar just exemplifies everything that is right with Kirby, and that is why it is, in my opinion, the best game in his franchise history. I guess it's worth noting I haven't noticed Switch, so I haven't played any of the new stuff, but... It really is an excellent, very fleshed-out, fun game, and that is why it falls as the 10th best game on my gaming list. Number 9. Not quite as far back as the days of yore when Nintendo was making black-and-white games on a green screen, Valve was a kind of a more of an upstart company, and they were, you know, still well into their way by now, but wanted to really get the word out that they had a really cool video game engine with lots of awesome physics pro stuff to it. So they released the Orange Box, and it was a whole bunch of games. And if I was counting it as one thing, it might be the spot here. But because I counted it as five games, all of them are pretty cool. But one of them, Portal, was more of a demo, a tech demo, than anything else. And the whole game took about three hours. It was, however, one of the most popular puzzle platformers of all time, and the fans were clamoring for more, so they gave it to us. They said, let's make you a portal game that actually lasts like a full game. And it was excellent. Portal 2 was everything that was right with Portal 1, and some more thrown in. GLaDOS is possibly my favorite villain of all time. She is the exemplary blend of wit and sarcasm, and the foil of the absolutely stupid new villain, spoilers, sorry, really creates an exemplary gaming experience that sets Portal 2 aside from basically any other puzzle platform we've ever played. And of course, just the puzzle solving itself is ingenious. If you like thinking with portals, then you get to do that for like 8 to 10 hours, depending on how good you are at the puzzles. In case good old puzzle platforming wasn't enough, you also get one more dose of uh, good old-fashioned co-op in this one, and it's very well done. Adding the four portal system really fleshes out the gameplay in that. Yeah, all around, Portal 2 is possibly the best puzzle game I think ever created, and I encourage everyone to play it. Number 8! Legend of Zelda, drumroll, Majora's Mask. I know that's going to make a lot of people upset, but again, I don't own a Switch. Haven't yet played uh, Breath of the Wild. I'm sure it's fantastic. But as far as Zelda games I have played, nothing tops the brilliant world design that is Majora's Mask. The three-day format that makes you constantly feel like you're on a time limit while still having the expansive feel of a game that gives you all the time in the world really just encapsulates everything that can be right with a good adventure explorer. The combat is an improvement on the already excellent work that was laid down in Ocarina of Time, and the world feels truly lived in by all the characters there, since they only need to design about three days' worth of what they've got going on in their lives. It just creates this fantastic slice-of-life story that 
transcends what a Zelda game normally can do with its uh, world building, while still making it feel like a constant imminent threat from a falling moon. I love that it goes a bit darker than pretty much any of its former predecessors. I know that some of the ones after, like Twilight Princess, try to get darker and edgier, but they just don't have that same vibe to them. And it sure as heck doesn't hurt that filling out that bomber's notebook is just a delight. Makes you really feel like you're uh, getting credit every time you complete even the tiniest little side quest task. Um, yeah, fun bosses, great dungeon design all around. Majora's Mask is a true 10 out of 10 game. And that is why it is my number eight spot. Number seven. Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door captured all of the brilliant comedy of Paper Mario and Super Mario RPG before it and turned it into just one of the most fulfilling and fleshed out turn-based RPGs of all time. The smallest characters still feel like they have a witty and worthwhile dialogue little tiny conversations happening in the background of your conversations crack me up every time. The combat is legitimately fun and enjoyable, and as long as you don't try to cheese it using one of the many badge tricks out there, you can actually get some good challenge out of the game. Obviously, if you do try to cheese it, then, you know, then you're not going to win easily. But for that, there's even fans who have made hard mode patches, and those are well worth playing. The world design throws you for a loop if you're a classic Mario fan, because you start out with, oh look, uh, it's it's like the open fields level, these are like the world one bullshit, and then you get to world two, and it's like, okay, well it's the forest level, but it's like weird and psyche and tripodelic, cool, uh, oh, and they've, you know, I've got NPC helpers that are a bit annoying, okay, this is a pain in the ass, and then it goes off the rails, where you're a Mexican wrestler, or you're in haunted world, but you lose your soul, you know, all kinds of just fantastic twists on the format of the classic redundant ice, fire, desert, water, world, you know, bullshit. Then you've got your supporting cast, of course. The uh, side characters in this game are all fun, and you get different dialogue with them depending on who you have in your party at any given cutscene. That's a most of them are worthwhile characters. I mean, there's a couple of duds, but what cast of 8 plus doesn't have some duds in it? All around, this game is an RPG that I've come back to many times, and it still entertains me just about every time. The ways you can mix around and match your bad strategy to force yourself to do something different on a given run just makes for a wonderfully fun game. And uh, I'm, again, I've heard Origami King nails this even better, but I have no Switch, so don't at Well, feel free to at me, I don't care. Um, yeah, but Thousand Year Door is, in my opinion, everything that is right with the goofy non-formulaic, but still formulaic, turn-based RPG. Number six. Oh, I know I'm going to catch hell for this one, because in the fan community, I'm committing quite the faux pas. But number six for me is Saints Row 4. Now, if you ask any Saints Row fan, the series peaked at two. But I'm not a Saints Row fan. I'm a having fun fan. So give me absolutely dumb, quirky, contrived bullshit plots. Give me some of the tackiest writing. Give me, admittedly, a weaker soundtrack. It's fine. Because you know what this game has going for it? Sheer fun. The amount of enjoyment I can get out of just launching into some superpowers and wiping out a whole horde of aliens is more for me than any driving around town, cruising, normal GTA clone stuff. I like the 
completely different vibe that you get from a game where you can truly live out maximum power fantasy. And it has the perk of not taking itself very seriously. The dialogue knows that it sucks, and it addresses that in its own dialogue. It is the exemplary status of an open-world game that isn't trying to be anything more than it is. It knows its goal from beginning to end, and that is to make the player feel like they're having a blast of the time. And as an added perk, it comes with legitimately one of the most fun boss fights you'll ever find in a GTA clones type game. As opposed to the usual, just unload enough bullets into him and this till this guy stops, or maybe follow him down a hallway here and there, you actually get to use your superpowers in a knockdown drag out fight with a fellow superpowered fiend and his entire army. Um, yeah, quirky bullshit contrived plot. Not necessarily the strongest soundtrack, but the ambient stuff is pretty cool, anyways, so you can always just listen to that if you don't feel like vibing with any of the tracks that it has in it. And. Uh, all around, just more fun than I've had with a game in a long time. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we play video games for? Number five! On the other side of things, here's a game with one of the best licensed soundtracks of all time, though that's been true of every game in its franchise. Tony Hawk's Underground. In this game, we saw the introduction of being able to get off your board, which admittedly is kind of a cheesy move if you're going for like combos and stuff but it's very neat if you're just trying to explore the level and get to a place where you can start your combo from and more importantly in my opinion it added just a really fun little generic punk rock rise to the top skateboard story that i had a lot of fun with as a kid who wanted to totally be a cool dude but knew he never was going to be so i could you know roleplay through these characters take on the essence of my avatar for a bit and of course, the level design meant I could also rack up some sick multi-million point combos. Yeah, that's the essence of a good Tony Hawk game at the end of it. Are the levels fun and well designed? And I can gratefully say that in Tony Hawk's Underground, the answer is a definitive yes. Many will disagree with me and say the series peaked at Pro Skater 3, or Pro Skater 4, or Pro Skater 2. I really, I think as long as you're before Underground 2, you're on the right side of history, but who am I to say? Whatever you have fun with. Maybe Pro Skater 5 is your favorite, and you need to be locked up somewhere. But that's neither here nor there. Tony Hawk's Underground is everything that the franchise has been building up to, put together into one compact, fun game that also, you know, if you don't want to play the story mode, does have classic modes available. And of course, back when the game was still popular enough to still warrant friends bothering to play it with you. In addition to the multiplayer being the most fleshed out it ever was, you could design levels of challenges for them to try out. So, you know, really put yourself to the limits and show this is the extent of what you can get done in this game if you put your mind to it. So between all the things that Tony Hawk's Underground got right, and the fact that the things that got wrong are such minor infractions, it really does stand out to me as just the most fun you can have while playing a sports game. But to each their own. Some people actually like real sports that have realistic physics. And that's fine, I guess. Number four. So, when you think of platformers, you certainly think of Mario, you probably think of Banjo-Kazooie, Spyro the Dragon, but I think that no platformer more truly encapsulates the essence of what a platformer can be, coupled with the most amazing and just delightful storytelling you'll ever find, than Psychonauts. Right off the bat, it's a 
fairly unique story. You're a kid who crashes a camp for psychics and uh, managed to get your way into the classes because you want to join the psychic Navy SEALs, basically. And uh, the story seems like it's going to be pretty straightforward for most of it, but there's some fun, dark Easter eggs in each person's corners of their mind as you explore them. And then, of course, as you get later into the game, you find some fun twists about betrayals going on within the camp structure. And, you know, you get to stop a super villain, because who doesn't love stopping a super villain here and there? But, most importantly, the game's level design is some of the most innovative and fun you're ever going to find in any kind of platformer. They do, much like Thousand Year Door from earlier, they do something very new with the levels. You don't see the, cl the classic bullshit world design cliches and the actual collectathon of how many things are available for you to go back and get is the perfect balance of fleshed out but never completely intimidating to the point where you just can't even be bothered i've played psychonauts 2 and it is also just as good in just about every way but i'm going to give psychonauts 1 the win on this one just because it's a little more classic, and I feel like as long as you play the updated and patched version and not the original Glitch to Hell PS2 version, it works just as well while being an older game, and I think the story is just a little more connected to my nostalgia at that point. So all around, I think that if you're looking for a platformer that really does something different while still giving you all, scratching all the itches that you want a platformer to scratch, you can't do any better than Psychonauts. Number three! What self-respecting nerdy kid didn't want to feel like Batman? For a long time, video games tried to capture this feeling and pumped out just some of the most subpar platformers and action games you'll see. And then, Rocksteady, this company out of nowhere who'd only made a first-person shooter before this, basically, jumped in there and said, we got this. We're going to make a rhythm game. Uh, not quite, but we're going to make a Batman game. And you can see the rhythm influences in Arkham Asylum that really make the combat stand out. Then you get to add in the excellent predator rooms where you take down progressively more and more scared thugs without them even knowing you're there for the most of it. All around, it recreated a wonderful experience, but it was a bit lacking. The boss fights were meh, and while the Metroidvania structure was great for atmosphere, it did make you feel closed off so you couldn't just have that flying around Gotham-like Batman feel. Arkham City rectified those mistakes in spades and created one of the best open-world games, in my opinion, of all time. The combat is expanded to a level that's literally just the better version in every way of what its predecessor did. The same can be said of those predator rooms where instead of just using the exact same sneaky takedown on every thug, you're encouraged to think outside of the box to really make the room your bitch. The challenges are innovative and intuitive. The added content is all fun. Even the side quests are enjoyable. And of course, to top it all off, just some great bosses that truly make you feel like you're taking on Batman's rogues gallery. The story is wonderfully told from beginning to end. And if there's any game out there that truly makes you feel like Batman, Arkham City is my pick for the definitive Batman experience. And maybe you'll be saying, but Phil, what about Arkham Knight? Didn't that just do everything Arkham City did, but like better and more of it? And I'd be like, kind of, but I never really got into the tank combat. And honestly, I thought the bosses in that game sucked ass. So I decided to stick with Arkham City. 
10 out of 10, will most definitely play again. Number two! Somewhere along the way, there were some people who said, hey, everyone wants to be a rock star. Let's make a cheap, tiny plastic children's toy that kinda, sorta, doesn't really emulate that, but still works. Then Guitar Hero blew up, and everyone loved it, because it was everything that was right about video games. Take this thing that should be impossible, or over-the-top difficult at the very least, and make it simple and accessible to everybody. Then Rock Band came along and perfected that, making it the ultimate party game for nerds. It basically got to be an elevated form of karaoke for just about everyone in the room. And it led to, for my, in my experience at least, some very fun parties back when I actually still had the energy to party. And in my opinion, the game franchise peaked in terms of ability to play it with people because people were still playing it, coupled with the excellent soundtrack choice of Rock Band 3. I think that Rock Band 4 is great, don't get me wrong, I still play it from time to time. But for me, 3 is the one that really just captured that prime time when I was having fun with my friends, playing songs into the late late night slash early morning, and all around just having a blast being in a band. So if you want something to capture that essence, you could really choose any of the games as long as you have people to play them with. And I sure hope that they come back around because I would love to do that again sometime with real-life people. But... Just in general, the ability to pretend you're a rock star with a fun, cheap piece of plastic has not lost its appeal for me, and I'm sure there's tons of other people out there for whom that is also true. So, before we jump into number one, I'm going to real quick run down some honorable mentions that are essentially my numbers 11 to 25 in no particular order. Uh, these will all be basically lightning round, so I'll talk about them all for like 30 seconds-ish, but... Uh, here are some of the Sir Not appearings on this list. Y'all knew there was going to be a Final Fantasy game, and there is. Final Fantasy IX is what I consider the peak of the franchise's storytelling. And if it weren't for the fact that I have some truly quirky and unique RPGs up on this list that I think just tickle my fancy a little better, which is, sounds dirty, I'm sorry about that. Anyways, uh, Final Fantasy IX would probably be in my top ten, but I just had to be so selective. Bioshock is one of the most atmospherically satisfying story-driven games of all time, with one of the most famous twists out there. And while there is certainly very little wrong with it, it lost some points because its creators are libertarian pieces of shit, and it turns out that they weren't like saying Ayn Rand is bad, they were just saying Ayn Rand didn't quite get it right. So, oops, Bioshock, you lost your spot. Borderlands 2. Going back to games should be fun, it really is. It's still got all the good times of just shooting countless waves of aliens, you know, feels like a fun shooter, good to play with friends. Only downside is it's kind of, you know, redundant. After a while, after a hundred hours of doing the same thing, you're not getting as much out of it. Command and Conquer, Red Alert 2. In my opinion, the most fun RTS out there. And if I hadn't kind of gotten bored of RTSs, it might be higher on the list. But somewhere along the way, I just, you know, didn't really get into the genre. So this game gets relegated to a kind of just background, still very fun, still worth playing, and I hope a remaster comes out much like it did for the original Command & Conquers. Ori and the Blind Forest. In terms of 
Metroidvania Explorathon type games, this one is one of the most touching ones on the market. The story is near wordless, but still captures your heart in a way that very few stories do. The world is beautiful, stunning even, and the music is fantastic. But it's, you know, going back to my whole I don't really want that hard of a game thing, it's pretty hard unless you decide to play on the lower difficulties, and if you play on the lower difficulties, then that's fine, you know, but then it's a little too easy. It doesn't have that... It's hard to get the perfect middle ground there on that one for difficulty curve without throwing my controller through a TV. Sonic Adventure 2. Possibly my favorite video game soundtrack of all time. It may be a dumb story. It may be contrived and cheesy, as everything, just about everything Sonic does is. But the music is absolutely gripping. Keeps me hooked on every single track. The level design is wonderful. The fact that you get to play as a, sometimes a big giant robot, sometimes the hedgehog speeding down a track, which are the best levels far and away. And also there's those levels where you have to do treasure hunting, and they're fine. But it creates some variety. The bosses feel pretty fun and well thought out. And all around, it is a lot of things that are right about a speedy platformer, but not quite enough to crack that top ten. Super Smash Bros. Melee. We all knew a Smash game was going to make the list. They're the most fun, casual fighting games out there. Um, the only downside I have with Smash Bros. at this point is people take it very seriously, and it's much like playing most FPSs online. I feel like I'm just there to get my ass handed to me. But if I play against other just casual friends, you know, we all have a good time, we all hold our own, and the wins get passed around the room pretty casually because we're not pro players trying to do wave dashes and shit. Metroid Prime. You had to know a Metroid game would make the list too, and I think Prime is everything that captures Samus's feel in dang near perfection. Metroid Primes 2 and 3 were also exemplary games, and if I wasn't weighing so heavily for nostalgia, then Metroid Prime 3 might be the one to crack my honorable mentions. But the whole franchise, kicking off with Metroid Prime 1, just really captured that idea of feeling the atmosphere of being trapped on an alien planet, trying to get your shit back together so that you can be the super bounty hunter you once were, before you lose it all again for the next game. Banjo-Tooie. I thought Banjo-Kazooie was the shit when I was a kid. And then Banjo-Tooie came out, and like a lot of the sequels on this list, just did it but better. I have no complaints about Banjo-Tooie, but because there are so many other great platformers out there, it just couldn't quite crack into that top 10. But if you want that, getting more powers so you can do more things, so you can explore more areas, so you can get more powers vibe, you'd be hard-pressed to do much better than Banjo-Tooie. Donkey Kong Country 2. This game definitely was on the harder end of the ones in this entire list. It is a very challenging platformer, not quite as challenging as Country 3, which got a little hard for hard sake in a couple places. And I just felt like the level design, the music, which has always been wonderful in the Donkey Kong Country franchise, and just the vibe, that piratey vibe of, you know, saving Donkey Kong for a change, because he's the one in trouble. It created that, uh, it really tilted the game franchise on its head for the first time in a while. And I think that that was what sets it apart as the best of the Donkey Kong franchise. Pokemon Puzzle League. <laughs> Interesting that my Pokemon choice is not actually a Pokemon game, 
But really, I just liked the puzzle of this. It was... Tetris Attack was one of my favorites when I was a kid, so when they took it and cleaned it up and made it 3D, and then put a Pokemon spin over it with my child-ridden nostalgia brain absolutely loved, it was hard to say anything wrong about the game. But I can acknowledge that there's nothing special to it. It is just the one gameplay, so if you don't like flipping those puzzle pieces all day, every day, it's got its flaws as a drawback there, keeping it off that top 10 list. Undertale. Another exemplary RPG, and if I had the patience to play it for all its different endings and to try to do all the different unique ways to beat it, it probably would be further up the list. But just as its own on a standalone playthrough I did, it's still worth mentioning because it's, as far as a one-man production goes, probably about the best thing you're going to find out there. Uh, truly compelling storytelling makes you feel bad about yourself in so many places unless you do the run right, which I certainly didn't. Um, yeah, all around, it is a stellar game and is worth playing for anyone who likes RPGs or not, honestly. The Wolf Among Us. Telltale is a little developer that decided after a while, hey, instead of making our point-and-click games the normal boring fare, let's add some kind of linear storytelling element to it and then make it, you know, mix up depending on the options you choose, how people are going to treat you in later scenes. A neat motif that worked fantastically in the live in the walking dead sorry and that they uh then i think drove even better with the wolf among us which is a set in the fables universe where uh it's basically la noir but with you know fairy tale creatures and you uh, have a compelling story it's fun to figure out all the twists and turns as you go all around one of their best before they decided to overexhaust their company and Blurt, but thankfully, someone else has picked them up and is making a sequel to this game, and I'm very excited. Time Splitters, Future Perfect. There had to be some FPS on here, and I know Borderlands barely counts. So, here it is for you. My favorite, just casual FPS. The story mode is fun if you play single player. The multiplayer has very fun levels, and I think that if any game should be clamoring for a remaster... I mean, honestly, if they did GoldenEye properly, then sure, but they fucked that one up big time. So this game, I think, was more fun for me and my friends, especially considering how much newer it felt in the moment for, the, for when we were playing it on GameCube. Tales of Berseria. Another unpopular pick here, probably. The Tales franchise has a long and storied history, and it's uh, one of my favorite franchises all around. But I just had to really be selective about what made my top 10. It was tough not to include a Tales game on there. If I had to put which one number 11, this one might be it. But uh, Tales of Berseria is, in my opinion, the best of the franchise. And I will probably get a lot of shit for this. I haven't played Arise yet, and I will hope to get to it soon. But I feel like the combat is just the most fun. But more importantly... I always love a good anti-villain story, where you're not the good guys, you're just the bad guys who are going against the other bad guys, and it's so hard to let a game like that slide out through my fingertips, so its dark edginess is just stellar, 10 out of 10. The only downside is it is a prequel to one of the worst Tales games ever, Zesteria, so if you want all the references and nods, then you have to play a kinda shitty action RPG. Alright, so let's recap real quick. We have at number 10, Kirby Superstar. 
At number 9, Portal 2. At number 8, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. At number 7, Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door. At number 6, Saints Row 4. At number 5, Tony Hawk's Underground. At number 4, Psychonauts. Number 3 is Batman Arkham City. And number 2 is Rock Band 3. And now, without further ado, we present... Number 1! Possibly surprising absolutely nobody, my favorite game of all time is Chrono Trigger. What isn't there to say about this game? It truly captures what a perfect turn-based RPG can do in terms of storytelling, in terms of unique combat, in terms of fun and diverse characters, in terms of a world that constantly feels like it's changing, mainly because it is, because time travel is a concept, and who doesn't love a good time travel wibbly-wobbly time story game? I don't know about you, but time travel is always one of my favorite motifs. This game was the thing that turned me on to RPGs, which are now definitely my favorite genre of video game and I can't say enough nice things about it. And of course, if you beat it, then great. Now go beat it in 13 different other ways to see all the different endings that you can get. That's right, this game was one of the first to have multiple endings, and certainly the first to have more than, like, two. This game is, in my mind, what RPG perfection stands for, and I have no limit to the amount of nice things I can think to say about it. I could probably do a, you know, 5 to 10 minute rant on Chrono Trigger, and I will. No, I'm just kidding. I encourage everyone who hasn't played it already to play it for themselves, and I think that anyone who has already played it doesn't need to hear the spiel, because they've already been sold. This game is everything that was right about both the Super Nintendo era and story-driven RPGs in general. So yeah, that's the list. Thanks for listening, everyone. Sorry this one is definitely on the shorter side as far as our episodes go, but that's probably for the best, as without Kyle here to interject, this probably got a little bit tired pretty quickly. Anyway, without further ado, I guess I'll jump into my little uh, Phil's hot takes on the news. Yeah, I guess, uh, where else to start but Russia and Ukraine and all that bullshit, and, uh, fuck, what more is there to say? I think, I mean, we keep sanctioning them more and more, and we're really hurting those Russian oligarchs, and definitely not just the poor people who are suffering, you know, all the much more under the system while the rich people just keep doing their thing because they have alternative means to access any of the stuff we're potentially trying to ban them from. Maybe we're preventing Putin's war chests from refilling as fast, but... I don't know. I feel like we're probably doing more damage with each of these sanctions to the poor, and some of them are just downright dumb. I mean, we just did a game list, obviously, and uh, I'm so disappointed in Steam. They're just like, oh yeah, fuck you, Russia, you can't play anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you're really going to shut down the rich people from their access to their video games, but clearly they're not going to hurt the poor people who just need to use whatever service they can to try to escape from their horrible situation. Nope. Uh, you're gonna really, uh, stick it to the oligarchs with that one, Steam. So, I don't know. Every time I hear, I mean, so few of the sanctions make any kind of sense. I just don't even know what to say about it anymore. Uh, 
Yeah, I wish there was a, you know, a more succinct solution, especially one that I could, you know, bring to the table, but I'm not, you know, that knowledgeable about the situation in the grand scheme of things. All I know is the civilians are suffering far more than any of the people were quote-unquote trying to stick it to. And, of course, the hypocrisy of America continues to thrive with, uh, you know, all the whataboutist statements of, oh, well, we're doing the same things, you know, all over, you know, the world, but and have been for a long time. But, you know, we don't talk about that because that's just whataboutism. We're not allowed to bring up our evils anymore as long as Russia is doing evil. So, cool. Way to have another imperialist place to take the heat off of us. And then there's this whole new thing with the uh, bio labs that are, you know, if they go off in a, a chemical weapons attack, it's clearly a false flag. I don't, again, I'm not as knowledgeable on the situation as I probably should be for a good leftist, but I just can't keep up on this news anymore. It's so incredibly depressing. And then, of course, uh, Joe Biden, who obviously can't do anything with an executive order, suddenly, in the sake of making sure cryptocurrency uh, is more regulated, because obviously we've got to keep it out of the hand of the evil Russians, uh, maybe signing an executive order to make it a, an official American currency soon and uh, make it more regulated. And, you know, clearly executive orders can exist for some things, like making the money flow better. So that's awesome. Way to go, Brandon. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's infuriating every day living in this hellscape and i don't know what more to say also i'm sure there's other news that went on but i'll be honest i've been kind of checked out lately so if kyle wants to add something at the end here then awesome i'll leave a little gap in here for him to easily edit in his own two cents and if there's nothing there then uh yeah, it's rough out there but hopefully that since this episode was generally more of a fun one up until these last couple minutes uh we're all feeling a little better, and we can just ignore our problems and escape into video games. Always a good decision. But yeah, I wish you all the best in life. I hope you're all having a wonderful day. And uh, and I am sending out to each and every one of you as much love and solidarity as I can. It can be told in few enough words. We are not certain of his intentions even yet. They talk. So I am told.